Welcome to the Agro Church Podcast. I'm ruling and teaching elder Taylor DeSoto. And I'm lead pastor Dane Johansson. Today we're going to start a little bit differently. The last two podcasts we've gone into Christian Dribble, our section on uh, the the lack of depth in modern worship music. Mm. Uh, today we're actually going to start in a little bit differently. Uh, well, first let's get into what we're reading, what we're studying um, before we get into it. Dane, what are you reading? Yeah, um... We talked about this, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, but just how the life of a gospel minister and student of the Word is riddled with having a lot of books to read, as you can see, <laughs> and uh, not enough time to do it. And so you're, you're trying to be well-read on a lot of subjects. Hmm. So I've actually returned to a couple books that I've been trying to get through. I think I mentioned this last week, The Christian's Reasonable Service by Wilhelmus Abrakel. Um, Dutch Puritan of the Further Reformation, Divines. I've read the first volume all the way through. This is volume two, and I'm uh, really excited to get through this and get to the other two volumes because the other two volumes, the translator uh, said, are the most um, devotional reading you could probably find um, in Puritan literature, pretty much any literature, because Hmm. he's completely obsessed, Philhamus Abrakel is, with practicality of how to take the doctrines of the scriptures and apply them. The ones that have been rediscovered and taught clearly and articulated in the Reformation and then upheld by the English Puritans, the Dutch and the the English Puritans then took those and tried to apply them to every aspect of life. And that's why the Puritans are awesome. So I've been reading this, (coughs) trying to get a few pages of that in every day. And then also reading through Herman Bovink's Reform Dogmatics Volume 2, I've read uh, volume one all the way through, I think, three and a half times for school and for pleasure. <laughs> kind of a weird one. It's a, his a doctrine of prolegomena, meaning the, the first things. Basically, right. what, what do you talk about before you start doing theology? So scripture, faith, presuppositions, intellect, the basis of faith, mm-hmm. all those kinds of things. And so that was really good. So I've been reading this and just trying to plug away at it a... 10, 15 pages a day. And then last, I'm always got, I've always got a, some book on pastoral ministry, preaching, homiletics, something like that going on. And so Banner of Truth actually just came out with a now retype set and cloth-bound edition of An All-Around Ministry by Charles Spurgeon. Hmm. I gave you the paperback one a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. That was that. the one that was around for a long time, but they retyped it, and it's much... Uh, more readable, but the content is exactly the same. And uh, people will be more familiar with his other book on preaching and preachers called Lectures to My Students, mm-hmm. um, and usually has commenta- commentaries and commentating attached to it as well. But yeah. he actually gave other lectures outside of that, and this is um, more of the lectures he gave to his theological students throughout his life, mm. or his pastoral students throughout his life. So I'm trying to read this, and um, I mean, every page of, page of it is just... If you've never read Spurgeon, do yourself a favor. It's you don't have to do any of the work. He does all the thinking for you, and it's just it's just gold the whole time. It's worship yeah. the whole time. It's devotion the whole time. So that's been really encouraging. Nice. What about yourself? Well, this week has been quite interesting uh, for me. So I've got here uh, the Book of Mormon. Oh and, wow! Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, you know really questioning. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, the uh, this week, I've been developing a relationship with two Mormon missionaries. Uh, they, uh, they they call the Mormon missionaries elders. It's one of their offices. And 
uh, been developing a relationship with them and uh, was able to schedule about an hour and a half for them to come over and uh, go through. They gave me about 30 pages to read out of uh, the Book of Alma this time around, and I've never actually gotten into this thing. I just kind of know a couple of the verses to jump to, to to sort of understand their foundational principles. Uh, so I was in this. And uh, the reason I bring this up, right, I, I'm not like bragging about reading the Book of Mormon. That's not, you know, not something we, we typically uh, boast in. But the thing that I'm noticing throughout is, is and, and something that, that I think is really important for people to know, uh, is that this is not historical. Mm. Um, the, 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 the claims made, and, and that was something that, that got brought up in our conversation, but the uh, the claims that are made in this book can only be substantiated in this book mm. um, and nowhere else in, in history. Uh, so it's, right. it's, it's really important to know that. And, and the reason I say that is because th- there's no way this book could have been written without a, uh, a modern King James edition of the, the Bible opened up next to the page that was being written on. Yeah. Um, there, there's blatant quotations, plagiarism, um, stuff that was supposed to be written before Christ in 74 8, uh, BC in the case of Alma. Um, that are just literally quotations from the King James Bible, uh, so so that that was really eye, you know opening eye opening for me, um, just an encouragement to those of you that maybe are, are kind of new to ministry to Mormons, um, just to know that that you do have all that you need uh, in, in the you know the, the Holy Bible, our Scriptures to accurately and adequately uh, defend your faith against mm. the Mormons. So that's been this week, and we'll talk about. A little bit of my experience with that, uh, I think, next segment. Uh, this is just kind of refreshing. So on the internet, if you're unfamiliar, uh, people love to be uh, King James onlyists. They love, and this is a, a phenomenon I've only found on the internet. Never met a KJV onlyist in real life. I don't know about you. Have you? I think one. One? Yeah, I, I just don't it's know. usually the internet. They don't really you, leave. <laughs> it's usually the internet. Um, so I, I, I brush up. This is the... The King James Only Controversy by by Dr. James White, mm. uh, really really tremendous resource. Even if you're you're not um, really getting into uh, that kind of discussion online or in person, the book itself is just actually really valuable. It, it gives mm. you a little bit of history on how the uh, the transmission of the text and it's a great um, book on text criticism, honestly. Right. It's it's brief too. It's yeah. not it's not a huge weighty volume, um, but it goes in in simple terms and and. And just kind of lays out how the text was transmitted, translated, uh, and gives you a foundation uh, for for why it's you know appropriate uh, outside of the Bible's self claim that we can actually trust that the the words that we're reading mm. are the ones that God did preserve. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's important. And then in the Bible, I'm just reading through Ephesians right now, and that's uh, that's that was this week. I'm reading the Bible too. I mean, oh I yeah. Try to read it. Well, I mean, you know, you're. you're <laughs> You're reformed, so you don't need. You're done with scripture, right? Uh, so, and then where does it say that again? A uh, this is a powerful resource for Mormon apologetics, and it's basically just photocopies of their literature that allow you to substantiate some of your claims about Joseph Smith being a false prophet, and some other uh, helpful mm. bridges to cross when it comes to terminology and mm. and just a general idea. If there's something that that you can use in ministry with a Mormon, this book has it. Uh, now, what I will say, and what my friend directly from Salt Lake says, is that, that this is good, but it's better to have the actual uh, books of, of history, the church history books, from them, because then you can quote the full thing, you can read them in, in their full context, and that's a lot more powerful, because this, this sometimes seems a little bit like the Mormon version of proof texting, you know, and 
Um, but I was actually able to employ this uh, last night, and it worked mm. quite effectively. So um, that's what I'm getting into this week. I've, obviously, I'm still reading Bavink. I'm still reading La Brockle. I'm in the first volume, though. I'm just kind of getting into that. Uh, so really exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, since, since this week's a little bit different, we're doing mostly just like a overview, kind of a mm-hmm. shorter one. Um, not going into the usual subjects, like uh, the, continuing with the solas and other stuff. We're going to just kind of talk about... Um, projects we're working on, ministry mm-hmm. updates, and then actually go into a section on reading, how to read, mm-hmm. why we read, um, and all that kind of stuff, some recommended yeah. reading as well. Yeah. So projects that we're working on um, at uh, Agros, we as the pastors believe it's important that we are continuing our education, mm-hmm. we are continuing to read, write, think, and articulate ourselves as clearly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that always needs to be being worked on. So yeah. we usually have a couple writing projects going on. It's it's hard with the business of life and having kids and all that kind of stuff, but it, it is doable and we can get it done. So right. Um, we're also going to talk about some of the sermons and Sunday school topics and uh, Friday night Sunday night topics as well. I would think, right? Yeah. So the the ministry update. Uh, I'm currently writing. Well, I wrote my seven page paper for uh, section two of the systematic theology course. I graded it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dean graded it. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, went on for about seven pages too long, but uh, no, just kidding. no good. <laughs> uh, um, so that was quite enjoyable. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, going through a systematic theology course uh, based on uh, Herman Bovink's Reformed Dogmatics, abridged in one volume. Uh, it's been huge, huge blessing um, just to get you know into that. It's one thing to to read a volume, and another thing to actually have to. Uh, understand it mm. and, and digest it and actually um, understand the concepts where he was going and um, mm. and even offer some critiques you know if there's some yeah. things in there that uh, that, that aren't, aren't necessarily 100% true so I did that mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I've been working on for the last two or three weeks now a treatise on uh, God's law mm. uh, so the reason I'm doing that is because right right now the, the term theonomy right makes a lot of people cringe um, and I think in a lot of ways it's because the, t- the term itself is very loosely defined. Mm. Uh, you have one camp which you know takes it to mean that the, that the civil law ought to be applied. The civil law of the Old Testament ought to be applied today. Um, that would be like your your Rush Dooney. That would be uh, your Greg Bonson. Um, but what people I, I think don't really realize is that there hasn't really been a new thought in regards to that since really 1995 or so. Uh, mm. And, and it really does need to be pulled out. I think there's a lot to be said about it, and there's a lot uh, of dialogue that can continue. And um, other than that, th- there's other views of, of quote-unquote theonomy. I think that all Christians, in a sense, are theonomists, um, in the sense that we're called to love God's law. Um, mm. uh, you know, If you don't believe me, go to 1 John 5 and, and, and read it, and, and you know, don't throw it out. But uh, we, we ought to know that that God's law is not burdensome, right? It's not it's not something that should be hard to follow or obey, or uh, it, it really for the Christian should just be an extension of your faith. Yeah. And and so, what does that look like, though? What does that look like? How does it work itself out? And so, in my treatise, uh, it's more of a treatise on sovereignty, mm. um, and, and as it applies to uh, to to everybody, right? So, what what's you know, how, how does God's sovereignty extend to all man, hmm. um, not just the Christians? Uh, because this is this is his world. Uh, he created it, and everything on it is his. Yeah. Uh, and, and so if, if that's true, 
which the Christian does believe, right? So if, if that's true, then, then every, you know, every, every single thing that is good uh, is derivative of, of that, that source, right? It, it, it's distilled from the source of God's law, everything yeah. that's good. And, and so that's what the, the goal of the treatise is, is to sort of build out a framework for theonomy, um, if you'll let me use that word, uh, in society today, how should Christians view the law? How mm. should, and, and, uh, and it'll, it'll offer, also offer a brief commentary on Rush Juni's theonomy um, and Greg Bonson and, and, and those guys who uh, I think do, did a lot of really good work on that. And so um, I'm going to talk about what they did. So that's what, what I'm trying to do, and the, the crux of it, um, the last thing I'll say about it, is that uh, I'm really taking Abraham Kuyper's sphere sovereignty and applying it to uh, what, what I would say would be a proper biblical understanding of the law, which I think Kuyper probably understood better than I ever will. Um, but, but I hope I can um, really do it justice, and, and it should end up being just a pamphlet, you know, if, if, I, if I get that far. So that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, it's still very infantile. I'm still sort of in the introduction. Um, you want to read the quote that you sent us? Oh, yeah, this it's is... super good, and that might kind of give people a taste. Okay, so this is, uh, uh, this is from it. I believe this was from, the, from chapter one. God re- requires absolute surrender over the entire man. Instead of holding fast the testimony of, of Scripture, Christians have sat idly by while culture redefined truth, words, and launched direct direct assaults on the knowledge of God. Instead of having a mind conformed to Christ, the church has allowed itself to be conformed to culture. Words of death flow from pulpits, condemning the biblical worldview for the sake of full coffers. It should not be a surprise, then, that faithful men and women of God are scorned when they dare rebel against Demos, the god of the people. The church has set up houses of God around the high places, The statue of the unknown God sits in the midst of her. The ark of God rests in the temple of Dagon, and the church rejoices, setting up his idol each morning while faithful men and women of God tremble, awaiting the day that the adulterous church will wake up to Dagon's powerless head and hand severed. I, I like that a lot. <laughs> really so so that's, the, that's a little bit of a intro teaser. Uh, uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, it will be a blessing to our congregation and um, anyone else that decides to read it. Uh, so what are you what are you working on right now, Dan? What are you writing? Um, a couple of writing projects I have going right now. <clears throat> One completely infantile stage, which is a commentary on the confession for mm-hmm. our congregation. So on the 1689 London Baptist Confession, it'll be a 365 day daily devotional awesome so on different parts of the confession i'll go through the whole thing but um i I did the i added up all the chapters and how many paragraphs are in the whole thing and there's Mm -hmm. not enough to do for one for each day so some days i'll have two or three um days for each part or whatever yeah so i'm working on that um mostly just mapping it out right now as well i have started a few of the pamphlets that we're going to be giving away to our new membership uh when you when you become a member at Agros, we give you some literature to read. Right, right now we've been, we've been doing, buying them. Right, we've been yeah. buying them, and they're good. Um, they're from P and R Publishing, uh, the Basics of Faith series, I think. And then yep. there's one also from Reformation Heritage. Mm-hmm. They have a similar kind of thing that's like a Basics of Faith set. Um, we'll probably still give out the Paul Washer Gospel one because that one just that that's priceless. Solid, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it lays out the gospel so well. Um, yeah. 
brother Paul's amazing right. with that. Um, <clears throat> so I've been trying to work on those so that way we don't have to um, pay as much. Right. Because um, to, to, it's, it's cheaper to order them in bulk, and even to order them in bulk is expensive. So right. if we have where we can just kind of print on demand, yeah. um, and it is, is coming straight from the pastors of the church, too, I think that's helpful. Right. Um, also, I've been writing, and this might turn into one of those pamphlets, is a series of articles on the on the Sabbath, uh, the Confessions right. view of the Sabbath, and right. backing up with Scripture, talking about um, defending it, etc. It's going to be like a multi multi part thing, and trying to keep each article pretty short. But there's right. two already up on the blog on uh, agros.com. Um, the first two are mainly dealing with how to benefit and why right. we need to benefit from the Lord's Day. Um, so when you go to church and you're you know, sitting there going through the motions or whatever, that's something that we should try to, to fight against. Instead, we should be absorbing as much as we can from the sermons, the reading, the prayers, everything, <clears throat> and engaging our, our minds, our hearts, worshiping spirit and truth. And so the second uh, article that I wrote is talking about when the scriptures are read from the pulpit, whether it be during the preaching of the word or um, as our church does, which I think every church should do, since Paul tells Timothy to do this, is when the scriptures are read publicly, we do an right. Old Testament reading and New Testament reading every week, regardless of anything. Right. And uh, how to engage the mind most during that, how to stay um, in, the, in the word while the word's being read, and how to profit from it throughout the week and prepare yourself for it. So I have those going on, as well as studying for future sermons, sermon series, stuff like that. So we're right now we're... Uh, working through two main sermon series. Uh, one's called Credo. Uh, it's on systematic theology. Yep. So we're, we've done three sermons in that series, and then also one going through the epistles of John, so 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And that'll be this mm -hmm. week, and we're back in that. And um, I try not to be super strict on my expositional preaching, as in um, I won't... If something's laid on my heart, um, I, I'm going to go ahead and preach from that. Rather right. than be like, oh, I can't because I'm on. I have to go to the next verse of John. Right. Um, that is a healthy way of doing it as well. I just think for for me, this is working out well. But I, I am excited to get back into First John. We'll be in verses seven through eleven of chapter two. So talking about brotherly love and how to love other Christians. Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> and you also have Sunday school stuff you're prepping for as well. Yeah. So we we are we've been in worldview for a while now, uh, and and. We, we, we started, we talked about foundations, right? We talked about uh, essentially from Genesis to 1 John to Colossians, this idea that, that God created everything that is created through the eternal Logos, um, through the eternal Son, through Christ, and how Christ sustains everything, holds mm. everything together, and how that uh, that's a metaphysical truth. That, that would be the, your foundation for how you know things that would be a foundation. Um, you know, your epistemology and metaphysics, they're, they're, I think it's Bonson that says they're, they're, they're um, inter, interjoined. You can't mm. separate like the, you know, the secular humanist will try to separate those things, basically say you can't arrive to a metaphysic without your epistemology. And, and Bonson kind of shuts that down. Uh, and I, I would agree with him. I think the Bible tells us, you know, the, the way that, that this earth is, and our, our major theme has just been what can we pull out from, how, how can we exegete from uh, the scripture mm. uh, what God says the world is. And so that's what our, our primary purpose is to really, really round out the, uh, the ability of, of our 
of our members to uh, engage with the world, to mm. actually view themselves properly, yeah. uh, to view the scriptures properly, to view God properly. It's it's hugely important. It's and, everything. Yeah. It's everyone um, has a worldview that governs their existence. Yeah. Even the way that you approach the text, uh, yeah. if you know, you get this a lot. If you're if you're if you have a particular presupposition. Um, we ran into this with the Mormons last night. They tried to read. He, they tried to say that Hebrews one, uh, one through one. two, yeah. um, rejected the the Trinitarian view of God, the Trinitarian nature of God, and I literally just looked at him and said, "I'm not going to let you have that. Yeah. That's not what the text says. Uh, you're going to have to find another verse." Or they and, actually said, "You're going to have to go into your book to try to prove that one," because yeah. <laughs> you already had in mind their book, and we'll talk about that later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it in a sec. But in, in our worldview course, uh, what what I find so powerful about worldview is that, uh, well, particularly in, in scripture, it, it says that the word of God itself is is good for everything that we need. Yeah, you don't need to go and study biology to have a conversation with a biologist. You don't right. need. Uh, you don't need to have extensive uh, knowledge in various disciplines to carry out a discussion with someone that, that has that extreme amount of knowledge in a particular discipline. Right. All you need is the scripture here. And, and, and that's what worldview is about. Where, where if, you, if you have a firm foundation in worldview, you can answer the astrophysicist. You can answer the, the, uh, the archaeologist. I mean, you, you have all the answers here. And God will not put you to shame if you stand on his word. And so mm. that's the point. And, and so we've been through the last couple of weeks, uh, the, the theology of the Netherlands uh, between 1600 and 1900. Mm. And we're, we're going to continue in that on Sunday. Uh, we've been through the canons of Dort. We went um, through the, through some, we went through the history of that. First of all, you know, why was that necessary? And then we went through uh, what, what did they actually produce? What was the documentation there? And then I think on Sunday we're actually going to go to what was the product, you know, what uh, what was the nation that developed after Dort, right? Mm. Where did they go and, and what happened afterwards? And so that's what uh, I think is really important. Kuiper has this idea that Calvinism um, was way more than just five points. Uh, the, the view of God that Calvinism produces is so high, it's so esteemed mm. uh, that, that you, you can't do anything else but apply it to every, every sphere of your life, every yeah. area of your life. And so... Um, we're going to be going into that for the next couple of weeks, uh, but that's what I've been working on, just being into a lot of Abraham Kuyper and and uh, even Greg Bonson, and um, mm. so it's been good. Do you have anything else you're working on? I mean, stuff I want to be working on, you know, <laughs> but... Uh, we're going to I mean, talk about uh, my conversation with the uh, Mormon elders if we want. Yes, please. It was it was good. He, re- I don't know if you're allowed to say it, but you recorded it. Um, yeah, they, yeah, I got their permission. I so. asked them. I yeah, did ask them. Yeah. I was, he sent it to me and actually Scott as well, and we were able to listen to it. And uh, right. I still have like 30 minutes of it to finish, but the, I fell asleep last night. So the 25 right. minutes I did hear was very, very interesting and, and fun to listen to. So if you want to talk about it a bit. Yeah, so the this is a relationship that I've been working on uh, with these guys. Uh, one of the most challenging things is to get... Uh, Mormon elders specifically to sit down with you for more than one session. Mm. If they if they deem and they go back to their president and they deem that that you're not you know someone that that maybe will come to faith, then sometimes they they they'll put you on the list that they're they're not going to visit you anymore. Mm. And so I, I had the 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 fortunate you know the blessing of honestly God allowing them back into my home and and uh, really getting into they they gave me some homework like I had mentioned earlier. 
And we, we didn't really even get into those verses in Alma because of the way the conversation went. And uh, essentially what, what ended up happening, and, and this is, uh, I think, important if you're doing Mormon um, mission, if you're doing mission work to Mormons, mm. and, you're, and you're loving and caring for them in that way, uh, it's important to know, I think, just to kind of get updates on, on the state of how they're being raised up and how they're being mm. trained and the, uh, the narrative that they're using, the direction that they're going. Uh, but but essentially, first of all, I mean, I, I was spent, um, you know, this is not to lift my, you know, puff myself up, but I, I, I prayed a lot before they came into my house because I knew that that I would need to be sharp and I would need to be uh, make sure I didn't say the right, you know, the wrong phrase that they could jump on. And so it was honestly just relying on, on God to uh, really guide the conversation and, and, and use my, you know, my faculties to, uh, mm. to, to navigate the conversation. But essentially... Well, what ended up happening was we, we went straight to the reliability of the Book of Mormon. Mm. And, and, I, and, and one of them said, um, basically roughly quoting one of their presidents, I think Joseph Fielding Smith basically said that the, um, the, the Mormon faith rises or it, fall, or it stands or it falls on the testimony of Joseph Smith, on the truthfulness of his claim. Mm. And it, he either is the true prophet or he's the world's you know, greatest uh, fraud. Mm. is what the Joseph Fielding Smith said. And so they basically quoted that to me. And so I knew that if I was going to be bold, if I was going to genuinely care for these Mormons, I was going to have to go through the test of the false prophet. Mm. So I brought him to Deuteronomy 13. And I, I had, you know, where does it say that? One of Joseph Smith's false prophecies, which essentially says that if uh, the United States, he said, uh, if the United States government doesn't um, basically uh, punish the people who were persecuting uh, the, the Mormons in Missouri, um, if, if they, they don't punish the officers that were involved in that, um, then the United States would basically be brought down to a potsherd or just like a fragment of, of clay um, that God would crush the United States government. And uh, that, that didn't happen. And the, the, thought, the prophecy was that in the next few years, it didn't happen. And so I, I confronted them with that and said, okay, well, what do you do with this? And so they, they, they actually didn't have anything to say to me when mm. I brought that up. And so they actually just let me have the fact that this, the Book of Mormon was not true. It's not a true testimony. And they kept basically trying to go to their testimony. They kept trying to go to their testimony. And so I kept uh, essentially just saying, you know, I'm not going to let you do that because I can say the same thing. I can say, well, the, the Holy Spirit is testifying in me right now that the Book of Mormon is false, you know? And, and so I would keep getting more and more absurd, you know, saw that, um, it got to the point where I said, well, the Holy Spirit's testifying to me to cut your pinky off, you know, Elder. And, and, and he, he, he understood it and joked back. He was kind of like, oh, I'm going to have to pray for that for a little while. <laughs> um, but, as, but essentially, the, my takeaway uh, from the whole conversation is, is that uh, it's very challenging to be gentle, but also firm in truth and yeah. not let them use your scriptures and not let them uh, not let them pull from the text what's not there is something I noticed that was really common that they would do. They would read a verse either in the Book of Mormon or the Bible, and they would say, so that's why. Mm. They wouldn't do any sort of exegesis. They wouldn't pull any meaning from the text. They would literally say something like, well, the well, God is, is Father of God, and, and the Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus is God, and they're three beings. Uh, and, and then they would read um, you know, a text from the Book of Mormon and say, see, that's what that's saying. And, you know, I can, I can read a, a verse right now and, um, and they're, they're literally, they're literally just pulling out what they, what they really want from the text. Um, so 
in in third Nephi eleven twenty seven, uh, this is there they believe that Jesus came to America, in about thirty four A.D. and says, and after this manner ye shall baptize in my name. For behold, verily I say unto you that the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost are one, and I am in the Father and the Father in me and the Father and I are one. And and I challenge them with that. I said, how do you? And they basically just said, well, that proves my point. And then they went to Hebrews 1, like I said. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to let you have that. I'm not going to let you have that because that's not what the text says. Right. And, and, and what I've noticed, and I think this is another takeaway for you know, people that, that are interested in, in Mormon ministry, uh, is every time I pushed back, every single time I said, can you, can you prove that claim? Can you provide a, a proof for what you've just said? Mm. They'll move on. At least this this era of missionaries, the ones that I'm talking to, you know, I'm not saying every single missionary is like this, but every time I pushed at something they said, they just gave it up. They wanted to know the next thing. They they didn't have the 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 ammo uh, to fire back ever. Mm. Uh, and 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 I wasn't being rude or mean. I was giving them every opportunity to respond. And there even got to a point in the conversation where there was a long, uncomfortable silence because they didn't know what to say. Mm. And I just sat there and was waiting and was waiting and was waiting for them to say something back to me. And, and I just waited and it was just uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, and and uh, I, I recently heard this uh, from one of my friends in Salt Lake that he lives in, in uh, Salt Lake City. And he basically said the, the, the common terminology when you're dealing with Mormons is to imagine that, that, that they've got a shelf. And your goal as a Christian, is just to load up that shelf with truth, with mm. scripture. You know, scriptures from Isaiah and, and scriptures from Deuteronomy, you know, the test of the false prophet. Um, there are no gods formed before me, neither shall there be after. Um, from Isaiah 44 and, and so, or 43, I'm not, 43. 43, yeah. Um, essentially, putting that scripture on their shelf uh, and, and letting it just weigh down on that shelf. And, and finally letting that shelf break under the weight of everything that you've put on that shelf. Mm. And eventually they're going to have to deal with the mess that's on the floor. Mm. Um, you know, you're not trying to win a debate. You're just trying to put, you know, the, the scriptures on that shelf that they're going to go back and remember 10 years from now. Yeah. And, and, and so that's the goal in, uh, that I found uh, is very helpful to think of it in that term to try to, you know, sneak in as much as you possibly can that will, that will, eat away at their faith and turn them to the true gospel. Um, and then we pray, I prayed with them, uh, called them to repentance mm. and then, and then we parted ways or I think we're meeting again this Thursday, which I, I don't know if that'll happen, but, uh, it was, it was hugely beneficial for me. Yeah. I learned a lot. Uh, I learned a lot about what I shouldn't do, what I should do mm. and where I could have maybe even pushed a little bit more. So, yeah. um, it was really, it was really beneficial. It was beneficial even just listening to it. I'm yeah. excited to listen to the rest. Yeah. <clears throat> Do it with my wife tonight. Yeah. So we have uh, the last section for this podcast is going to be how to read or the benefits of reading. Uh, obviously, we're surrounded by books. Uh, we talk about books a lot. Mm-hmm. I think you and I both put in a pretty considerable amount of pages a week. Um, and, and, and the biggest accusation, I think the reason why we need to talk about this is because we've been accused a lot by various parties that, that we spend too much time reading mm-hmm. and not enough time, you know, doing the work, you know, the quote unquote, the work of the gospel, going out and preaching. Um, wh- what would you say to that? Why, why, you know, why do we read? 
I mean, you even hear, it's just common within modern evangelicalism anyway, mm -hmm. the idea that theology, doctrine, study, right. is just kind of seen as like, you know, if you need to go to seminary or whatever, of course, do the bare minimum, get by, do what you gotta do. But as for the average Christian or even the average pastor or the average elder or deacon, it, why do you need to study? Mm -hmm. uh, why, do you, why do you need to be reading theological tomes? Why do you need to be constantly learning and immersing yourself? And, and it's that exact thing as, you know, you could right. be sitting around reading or you could be doing ministry. Um, whereas they're not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think doing good ministry, as in the works of ministry, such as sharing the gospel, doing good works, serving, mm. truly flow out of a heart that has been warmed and regenerated, obviously by the Holy Spirit, but warmed and then uh, and enlivened by sound doctrine, sound teaching, as it, as it says in uh, Timothy that we referenced earlier, right? that all scripture is breathed out by God hmm. and profitable for teaching, instruction, correction, right. training in righteousness. Yeah. The man of God may be equipped fully ready for every good work. Yeah. <clears throat> already fully equipped for every good work mm. and um so so the accusation is why reading why do you need to study why you just have your always have your nose in a book right um you know you don't need to sit there for extended hours um sometimes it's necessary but how much time we waste on phones and everything else right. if you if you, you you take what you can when you have it a couple minutes here a couple minutes there right uh you can get a lot of reading done and and um, reading is important because it keeps us on our toes. It keeps us engaged. It keeps us fresh. It keeps yeah. us uh, enlivened. It keeps us right. um, engaged with with prayer and with thought and with articulating our faith. Right. Um, and and people could do. Historically, people have read a lot more, especially since the printing press, than yeah. we do in our day. It's funny we read. Uh, I was I was reading a study. I think it was last year. I, I forget what it was by. It was probably on like New York times or something and he was talking about people <clears throat> and smartphones and um ipads and kindles and right. all these kinds of things and computers and how we are more inundated with uh with text information yep uh, we're reading more than we ever have been yet we're worse readers yeah. we're less intelligent we retain less we um because everything is snippets uh i mean twitter what is it what is it now 240 characters it's like 248 or 256, Scott, do you know? Sorry. What? How many characters is uh, Twitter now? Two? I, I don't, I'm not a Twitter guy. Okay, well, it, it's, anyway, it's it, it used to be 144. It, it would be laughable. Uh, we were talking, and I think in the first podcast, about how, how uh, literally theologians used to write volumes at each other. Yeah. Now they shoot off tweets. Yeah. And it, it's... Regardless, it could be 500 characters, and it would still be a disgrace. Yeah. Uh, compared to compared to what what has historically been done. Right. People would you know someone would say one thing. Imagine if someone tweeted, and someone devoted the next five years of their life to refuting that tweet. That's essentially what they would do to each other, and mm -hmm. and and as a result, we got we got scholarship at a level that that is unparalleled. Mm -hmm. I would say we don't get that kind of scholarship anymore, and right. and, and that's the whole point of that article was that mm -hmm. we're reading more than ever, but our reading is shallow, right? And, and people can't read extended, um, you know, books or, or, or arguments anymore. It's hard. Right. Our attention spans so little, and if it's not summed up in 144 characters, right. Uh, well, well, I'm not going to pay attention that long. I'm going to, you know, maybe skim it or something, but right. th that skill is largely lost as well. Right. 
<laughs> so I think you see so many articles uh, basically being condensed into the title. Like the Babylon Bee, I love the Babylon Bee because it's such even even in the the titles of the par- you know the satire, all the information you need to know about that entire article is in the the headline. Mm. And and people, I would argue that that people uh, that post articles on Facebook only read the headline. A lot of them, I bet, yeah. You know, they they see what they like, and they assume that what's in in the content is what they need to know. And I've actually caught a couple people out on that uh, within the last month or so. And really, yeah, I was like, did you actually read the article that you posted? Because it's actually saying the opposite of what you thought it's, right. it said. And that's the nature of clickbait. You know, you get people pulled in like that um well and i've even noticed as i'm you know recommending books in my ministry and stuff uh probably 2010 ish or something i really mm -hmm. got into extended study reading and and acquiring the library that's around me right now Mm -hmm. and i've noticed over the years um recommending books to people that kind of stuff people have a hard time Mm -hmm. getting back into the flow even after even right after college or in college Mm -hmm. some of these students are having trouble Reading a reading a book that's two hundred fifty, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, nine hundred pages long. Right. I mean, nine hundred page long book is is difficult, and those are usually some of the bigger systematics and stuff that I have. But it's yeah. hard for people to get into an argument and a flow of thought and, and stay with it for thirty pages. That that used to be just how it was, and so that right. is a skill that needs to be developed in our day. And I think that's why it's profitable to talk about how to do the reading as well as the benefits. So. Just, just for me, the benefits I've seen really quick, and then kind of talking about um, how to read, some, some ways to get the most benefit out of your reading. Right, right. Some um, things that I read for. Some of the reasons that I read is for devotion. Right. So that my theology is sound because I'm reading past, present, and future what it's always going to be. Because they're just... The idea behind that is that the history, those who don't study history are bound to repeat it, right? Yeah. So the doctrines that were false doctrines in the early church have been repeated time and time again and will be repeated time and time again. That's why if you read the past, you're already reading the future. It's going to have a different dress on, right? but it's going to be the same thing. Uh, Just repackaged. We're even seeing that now with Andy Stanley. I don't know if you watched the dividing line. I haven't Pretty watched crazy. it, but, but uh, that, Pretty I'll, I'll crazy. watch it. Well, he said he needed two Gospels and First Corinthians. That's it. He said that. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I'll have to watch that. And uh, oh man, I'm 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 blown away that he still has a pulpit. I mean, I'm not. Well, can I can I read my quote again? <laughs> uh, well, and to speak to that a little bit, I mean, you have like some people don't know that Pentecostalism pretty much started as Unitarianism oneness, and then it transformed into AOG and everything that mm-hmm. it is now. Uh, and you you have you have modalism and you have uh, the 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 Wesleyanism and, and and everything and the way that impacted culture mm. and people think that that you can just you know you can you can keep doing the same thing over and over and expect that something else will be a product of the same bad theology mm. and and people tend to think well theolo- in this day and age theology is so personal uh, you know you don't you, no one shares the theology anymore. Uh, except for the Reformed churches. Um, the, everyone's theology is personal. Mm-hmm. What you believe is the only thing that matters as long as at the end... You know, and whenever you hear a Christian say, at the end of the day, just just tune out. Yeah. You're probably going to hear something ridiculous. Because mm-hmm. they'll say something, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you believe the Bible even. All that matters is you have a personal relationship with God. 
the God who gave us his word that you're now neglecting? At the end of the day, you know, you, you have these sort of blanket statements really being made a lot. And that's, uh, you can, if you have a basic brief understanding of church history, you would never make that claim. Well, you even hear people say, well, you know, at the end of the day, or, you know, all I really need to worry about is my relationship with God. As long right. as I know what I believe before God, then it doesn't really matter if, if men think I'm wrong. Right. Well, that flies in the face of what you just said first, because if, if it is, they say that first as if it's like, well, I only really need to worry about what God thinks about my theology. Right. That's the scariest part. <laughs> Yeah. You should, that, that should be the part where you're like, man, I really hope I got it right because yeah. this is how God has revealed himself and I am now treating him as how I have perceived him to be in his word. So if what I've perceived is incorrect, then I'm actually talking to a caricature of God that I'm putting upon him and saying, God, this is how you have to be and this is how I'm going to treat you, which right. that's terrifying. Right. And, and there's, there's so much, there, there's so many, you go back to the early church, even you study Gnosticism and you mm. see... Uh, I I had someone who had no idea what Gnosticism was. They went and looked at a Wikipedia article, <laughs> and and ba- and I was I was making a parallel to the type of uh, claims that this guy was making. I'm like, that sounds really Gnostic, like the you know the appeal to secret knowledge and the appeal mm. to higher knowledge and this appeal that there's like a there's like a seven you know an upper class an upper echelon of mm. believers, which is which is fundamentally you know what what these Gnostics in the early church believed. Right. Uh, and, and while they also believed in a mother God and, you know, all sorts of iterations, you know, uh, an ethereal Jesus that you could put your finger through. And, wow. um, he was basically saying uh, that, that, that because they didn't believe the exact same things that Gnostics believed, they weren't Gnostic. Right. And, and, and it's just the ignorance. It's the ignorance that, that you, you don't know enough about what you're doing because you're not reading. Right. And, and, that's, the, and that's, that's ultimately um, the, the point that I wanted to draw was mm. that... It, you know, how do you know what historic orthodoxy is? Right. If you don't, if you don't read through uh, church history, you don't read through some of these guys. Like people don't realize, like uh, a lot of systematic theologies talk about the what they were interacting with at the time. Is so you actually get like a, a bit, good systematic theology will deal with church history. Yeah, you you, you actually deal with a, a bit of church history in systematic uh, volumes. Right. Uh, and, and I mean, even they recognize you cannot do theology in a bubble. Right. Uh, you have a lot of people that say, "Well, only I only read the Bible," and and, and they're usually the ones that have very scary theology. <laughs> uh, it's you know, especially if the only Bible they read has you know is a particular study Bible that's very slanted one way or another. Schofield. Uh, oh, <laughs> there's also uh, there's also I just figured out there's a there's a KJV only ist study Bible. There's three. Oh, there's, good. There's the uh, Ruckman reference. That's Bible the one I just found out about this Ruckman, week. Yeah, and um. Gosh, where's the one? It's a. It's That's a, the big one. I think one. it's the Bible Believers Common or the Bible Believers Bible Study yeah. Bible, Believers Study Bible, something like that. It's a. It's written by a guy in Indiana, and uh, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> there, yeah, there's it, some catered to specific cultish ide. Uh, yeah ideologies and theologies but that's the application i wanted to make i, I just wanted to say like as far uh as far as the cool thing is this text does not change yeah. and, and the fact that there have been so many distortions of the text which it talks about uh in second timothy mm-hmm. um you know the, the fact that there's been so much we need to know what true north is what has the orthodox church always believed mm-hmm. uh so that we can arm ourselves and defend ourselves and understand um mm-hmm. You know, it's not necessarily to distill what the Bible says, but to distill what the Bible does not say. Mm. I would say that's a huge importance of reading um, because a lot of these volumes around us, you know, some of them are even addressing what the Bible doesn't say. Yeah. 
um, addressing addressing people that they would call heretics, which I would call heretics too. But apparently, you're not allowed to call uh, people heretics anymore. Well, it's me. It might hurt somebody's feelings. Right. Anyway, that's all I had to say. Uh, I think what we were going to do, you wanted to teach us, you know, how to read. Yeah. And then we were going to go through a couple of suggestions of books for people. Yeah. Yeah. So, how to read, and this goes into why I read. I, I and we talked. You talked about this recently as well. You, you introduced everyone to the new conversation partner that you've kind of chosen for your for your yeah. rest of your life for Kuiper. is uh, uh, Abraham Kuyper. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the ways I really got into theology and studying, you know, these volumes of the Puritans and uh, Charles Spurgeon and, and so many others is because I love to talk about God. I talk mm-hmm. about God all the time. I talk about faith and theology and, and things like that all the time. That's mostly what I talk about yeah. because it gives me life. So when no one else was around to talk about with, well, I have this dead guy or this guy who's still alive, but he wrote it down for me so I can interact with him and I'd read with a pen in my hand yep. and a highlighter same, yeah. or a notepad if you don't like to write in books. I know some people don't. And you interact with the author. You interact yeah. with the book. You underline. You you highlight. You draw question marks. You you put symbols in there. You you write notes. You interact. You you make it a living experience that gets you engaged into the text. Yeah. There are, there are books that I'll read very quickly without doing much writing. In. Sometimes you have to to get through it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and it just depends why I'm reading the book. But right. a lot of the books that I study in depth, I will study very slowly. I'm a pretty slow reader anyway. But it slows me down a lot because to to sit down with a pen in hand, right, um, or even a couple different colored pens, and and write and think and uh, digest the material as you were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so that's one of the ways to to read is mm-hmm. to read with a pen in your hand. I think it was Abraham. No, I was almost just gonna say Abraham Kuyper again. Ben you, Franklin. You, you can They're give very him, different. Ben Franklin, Abraham can, Kuyper, very different people. But Ben Franklin said you should always read with a pen in your hand. Yeah. And on, on the topic of reading too, Charles Spurgeon, I wanted to say this earlier, Charles Spurgeon said that people will go, oh, well, all I need is the Bible. I don't need other men's thoughts. I don't need other men's interpretations. Uh, I just need the Bible. Well, <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said, he who, he who does not read shall not be read. <laughs> Meaning, if, if you're not going to... And he said, and he who expects the Holy Spirit to reveal to him new things, but doesn't want to read what the Holy Spirit revealed to men of old, shall not have anything revealed to him at all. So the whole point is, you know, to to interact and to know your subject. Yep. So that's why I read the pen in my hand. And that's probably one of my first tips is read the pen in your hand, slow down. It's okay to, to go through a book really slowly. Yeah. Um, a lot of these books around me, um, and I'll recommend, we're both going to recommend some books um, some are harder to read than others, mm-hmm. but a lot of the books that I read, when I started reading the Puritans, I couldn't read very well, and mm-hmm. so reading the Puritans are hard anyway. And uh, Joel Beakey talks about this a lot, Dr. Beakey. He'll talk about how when he was 14 and he came under a strong conviction of sin reading the Puritans, that he every night would be up till 1 in the morning reading, and, and he would say, I read very slowly because I read with a pen in my hand, mm-hmm. and I looked up every scripture reference, and I thought about what they were saying. Yep. It's okay if you sit down and read for a half hour to an hour once a day, and then you realize you're only getting two pages a day. That's okay. You're not in a rush. The, the, what good is it to read 900 pages in a month if you have retained maybe 20 of those pages? Yeah. If that. 
Yeah. So the goal is to maximize your profit from right. the work you're putting into it. Right. <clears throat> Another way is to read prayerfully, mm. read on your knees. Um, right. Is what I call it. But uh, literally, too George fat, fat to do that. Yeah, now, me but... too. Uh, George Whitfield. Um, he, after he came out of his legalism and perfectionism and mm. actually came to saving faith in Christ, what he did mm. is he said, though exhausted at the end of the day, he would spend every night for at least four hours on his physically on his knees mm. with his Greek Testament, his English Bible, and Matthew Henry's commentary for four hours every night. And that's how he then got the power from the ministry that you saw. And he would just pray. He would read prayerfully. He would read it in the Greek, read it in the English, read the comment from Henry upon it, and then turn all of that into a prayer. He said he would do that for every paragraph, sentence, and word. I actually, uh, I, I, when the first time I had seen that or heard that from someone, uh, when I would do my devotions, I would write a page of devotions uh, of prayer, mm -hmm. uh, basically getting myself ready for the, the text that I was about to get into, whether it be from scripture or from someone that I was just reading. And so I have just like a giant folder. Really? Yeah. Just That's cool. So hopefully, you know, someday my, my, my goal is that, that I was, I'm such a note taker and that I'm, I'm such a documenter that when I'm dead and gone, my children will find just a stash of me, mm -hmm. you know, in my relationship with the Lord and that the, you know, that I would be remembered for that. Well, that would, that's a, that's a horror story for most of the Puritans. We actually have, so much Puritan literature that we could have had that when they died they burned their a lot of the I, diaries. I remember that. I know that yeah, yeah. yeah. because they, they, they kept they kept very strict prayer journals and prayer diaries right and, and diaries of all sorts but usually they were burned when they died because right um, they didn't want anybody reading that that was their relationship with God right right that was right. Their, that was what they called the ark and they didn't want anybody touching it because they were afraid that person would get struck down so they would have it <laughs> so they would have it burned. Um, but that's how seriously they took it. But yeah, 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 I mean, yeah. The, the yeah the thought the thought of it is that the, you know I when I go through a book I, I do my my notes in a in a little moleskin and I, I leave the moleskin in my bookshelf in between that book and the next one, and yeah. and so that you know uh, I always joke around with my wife and say well if they don't want to read the whole volume they can at least read my hor <laughs> horrible note taking of what's in it. Um, yeah, but that's. But I mean, this is a. This is an example. I don't know if you guys will be able to see that, but you know the book I'm reading right now. There's notes and underlinings and different colors and highlights and things like that. So I just I really interact with the text. You know, you you know sometimes I just write Amen, um, or this guy's an idiot, or where did he get this idea, or Wow, I never heard it this way. Yeah. So it's that kind of stuff, and um, some pastors and students are are much better at this, being able to then systematize those notes right. and those thoughts. Um, usually they get left in the book and the book goes back on the shelf and I forget what I even said, you know, yeah, but, but the, yeah. the, the, it's not lost because it's not only in the margin, but it's also in my heart and in my memory from right. my interaction with the Lord. So I would say read with a pen in your hand. Hmm. Some people want to, and you're, you're thinking about doing this with Brocco is actually read through it once yep. without taking any notes, Yep. pray or whatever you need to do, but just read it normal pace. Mm -hmm. Then go back and read it slowly, taking notes and underlining and things like that. And then some people will then, in the end sheets of their book, kind of map out the, the book. 
Yep, that's 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 the plan so far. And then read yeah. it again. I, I know people that sometimes will read a book five times before they move on from the book. Like if they really want to know that book, they don't do that for every book. But I think the the only the only one I've really done that with is uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. It was probably yeah. that was the uh, when I first uh, was saved. That 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 I thought that Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology was the only. Theological yeah. work that existed. I didn't. I Did didn't, you really? I think. Yeah. I think we both thought that because I remember I saw this. I think I even told you about that, and I was yeah. like, I was like, dude, I got systematic theology as if it was like that's it. That's it. Because like one. I would hear, I would hear people talking about it like online, like Paul Washer and mm-hmm. whoever else would listen to John McCarthy, and they'd say system the word systematic theology or the word systematic. Theology. We thought it was Wayne Grudem. Like, I thought, thought that's what he meant. Well, that, there it is right there on the title, systematic theology. So that must be what they're talking about. But yeah, I mean that this was my introduction to any kind of yeah real theological so i probably burnt through that four or five times my mind's like falling apart yeah which is uh yeah i've read the whole thing once little little did i know that that was just i that was just an introduction to everything i'd be reading over the next 10 years yeah that's awesome so do you have any other to know me has been like uh over the years remaining friends with me has been detrimental to your wallet because of um yes that's <laughs> to my wallet and also to my uh the, the part of me that wants to Easy. have any sort of free time um the uh uh oh so you have so do you have any other suggestions on how to read uh before we move on to our suggestion what about um i don't know what do you, what do you have because i said read mm-hmm. prayerfully read slowly uh-huh. and kind of talked about different things people do what, what have you done besides like when you read okay say when you read grudem four times yeah well how did you do that so the first time I, with a highlighter in hand, I just highlighted. I read the whole thing through highlighted. And then the second time I realized that a systematic theology doesn't have to be read cover to cover. Mm-hmm. And so I went through kind of out of order and took notes on each section, each chapter. And then the third time I read it, no pen, no highlighter. Mm. I just wanted to kind of see. So I would read the titles and be like, okay, what, I re- what do I retain from this? Mm. Like, what do I actually remember from any of this? And then the fourth and fifth time was pretty much just the oh, same. Five. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. The first year was three times that I read. Oh, wow. Remember, remember I told you that? I was yeah. like, I think, I think I've think i read Wayne Grudem three times this year. Yeah. And, and you, you, you probably thought it was silly. Like, there's other books. There's there's other books. Well, I just, read. I thought you were kidding. No. I thought you were speaking hyperbole, honestly. No, I was actually, yeah. I actually read it all. Uh, Wayne Grudem, if you're listening, you need to send him a free copy of your new book on ethics. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, he'll, no, read, he'll read it six times. Well, the, the re- well, first of all, like I said, I was kind of joking, but kind of not. I literally thought that when I was, what, 18? I literally thought that Wayne Grudem was the only, like, theological work. Right. Because yeah, you go to Barnes & Noble, and that's pretty much it. Like, I mean, you'll, you'll see some stuff by Pope Benedict and, uh, well, now Frankie. <laughs> Um, or, you know, yeah, that was, if, if they have anything, it's, I was unaware of, of like these, you know, these, these publishing companies in the Midwest and, and out, you know, in, in Dutch reformed land and everything, everywhere out there. Uh, I just wasn't aware of these guys. Mm -hmm. I wasn't either. And I I literally thought that, that the only theological works that existed were at Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I would go to Barnes and Noble and I would try to find, you know, something that wasn't Joyce Meyer or Joel Osteen because I knew they were bad somehow. Like I knew that that wasn't good. Um, and so we came up with Wayne Grudem and Matthew Henry's commentary. I mean, those are pretty good takeaways, especially Matthew Henry. I mean, that's right. that's a, you could read that cover to cover right. for the rest of your life if if you had nothing else, and you would be in a long line of godly men who've done. The I, same I, thing. I I uh, I love Matthew. So let's get into the, so so my if I were to give one piece of advice from my perspective, because I 
I, I tend to read really fast, uh, and I have to slow myself down. Um, like I've, uh, I did my Bible reading plan in a year by March, and uh, that was like note taking and stuff, uh, just because I read really fast, and then I, I'll reread again five or six times, and like that's just I can't be slow when I read, or else I, I get distracted and fall asleep and everything. Um, so I, I just if I miss something, I just read it again and read it again and read it again. It's really weird. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing, but. What I would recommend for people is, is don't be afraid to stop yourself in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a paragraph, in the middle of a chapter, and just start over. Yeah. Uh, the goal isn't just to get through it. It's to right, benefit from it. Right. And in whatever way you do that, if, if speed reading through it one or two times is faster for you than reading it word by word by word, um, if you can pull more... like. Figure out how you read, how you can pull the most meaning from the text. Mm. And for me, what that looks like is I, I, I'll go through a section and I identify the, the content of a section. And fortunately, a lot of books I'm reading right now are sectioned off. So you mm. don't actually have to do that yourself. Uh, but I'll read it fast once or twice. And then I'll read it slow and I'll read it fast again. Uh, and then I'll read it back to my, I'll, I'll summarize it to myself and say, okay, mm. what does this say? Summarizing is huge. Mm -hmm. It's a good tool to be able to do right. is to read a paragraph or two mm -hmm. and then be able to summarize right. or even a page or a chapter. If you're able to summarize a chapter, that means you really understood it. Right. And and sometimes even in the, in the at the end of a chapter, if there's there's usually space, like a blank page or half a page, uh, in a lot of books that I'm, I've read at least, and I, I write down like five notes, mm -hmm. um, five takeaways. And uh, I, I would say that the biggest detriment to me my reading is the fact that I do need to speed read sometimes to get through stuff because mm -hmm. uh, I do miss a lot if I don't reread it four or five times. And so, um, well, I mean, even in uh, when I was in my, one of my Latin courses, mm -hmm. we did that. I would, you were, you would read a chapter multiple times. It was usually like a story in right. Latin or a dialogue in Latin. And then you would summarize in your own Latin words. So yep. you would read, then you would write a summary in Latin on that. Yep. Uh, I, I think if you can write, and I, I tell this to people all the time, if you can write just a quick little five-sentence summary of what you just read, uh, or you can explain it. I do this all the time. This is actually a reading tip. This is, uh, when I'm driving in the car with my wife, uh, I will just summarize what I've just read to her. But I'll, I'll do it in conversation form. Mm. So I, I can actually just you know really understand it and be able to articulate it in conversation. Because that's uh, so primarily you know teaching someone what you've just learned mm. helps you solidify it. Yeah. And then also being able to be conversational mm -hmm. in your information, thats I think that's a huge key. Yeah, and it's a, one last thing before we get to the um, recommendations <laughs> is, is on that exact same note. It's, yeah. it's don't be afraid when you're reading through something, and everyone does it where you're reading and your mind wanders, and then you get to the end of the page and you're like, what did I just read? Yeah. It's okay to, sometimes it's disheartening, but it's okay to be like, okay, I'm going to go back to where I was. Yep. Um, but it's also okay to be like, okay, I'm going to keep going. It depends on what you want to be getting out of it and, right. uh, and everything else. But it's okay to ad admit that you weren't paying attention for a minute and then go back. I would say that's the best thing that, that, yeah. I, that I do for myself. Because, yeah. I, I, you know, I read too fast. I burn through stuff. Yeah, I, I, sometimes you tell me how much you've read that week, and I'm like, you're a liar. <laughs> or you're, like, literally just looking at the page. Because, like, the only person I've ever heard... Uh, whatever i could go into a whole story about charles spurgeon i'm not going to another time spurgeon was insane. let's go to uh some of our uh recommended reading um first off the bible obviously 
is the book you're wanting to be reading the most. Um, figuring out a, a reading plan. Some people yep. have a yearly reading plan where they read through the Bible twice or once in the Old Testament, Psalms and New Testament twice. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever you're going to do, stick to it as much as you can. Mine get kind of crazy just because I'll be uh, in one Bible one Bible or another, excuse me, um, or in my Greek Testament, my Hebrew, all that kind of stuff. So right. I have to kind of figure out what I'm doing. But mm-hmm. obviously, the Bible. Make sure that's your main reading. Can I add a suggestion to that? Yeah. Uh, read a uh, high-quality Bible um, with lu- luxury leather. I mean... And, um, I would say that's the liter- Okay, literally, though, it's funny. Literally, though, people I've met that I've then been like, I've either given them a high-quality Bible or recommended they get one and they got one as a gift or bought it themselves, they always then are encouraged to read more. I don't I don't think that's a... You don't have to have a high-quality right, Bible. Right. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it's funny and it's... Uh, Maybe it's the wrong reason to be reading, but either way, they're reading the words. So. Right. Um, but I find in Arizona those glue-bound ones really fall apart too very easily. In the, if you leave oh, them in the well, car yeah. once, they're done. Yes. I mean, I've literally had not even just Bibles, but books, but especially Bibles. Yeah. Like back when we were buying Bibles all the time, because yeah. like that's all I was guys those cheap glued ones. From, $40 a month on Bibles? <laughs> from, from, from Barnes & Noble. Noble. Yeah. We get the cheap glued ones. They have a better selection nowadays, but yeah, in Arizona, summer, 140 130, 135 degrees in your car. You leave your Bible in there, gone. When you get back, it's literally just you open it up and pages just come out. It's curled so, over on itself. Yeah, it's so crazy. Sad. So sad. Um, quick recommendations. Uh, Family Worship Bible Guide by Reformation Heritage Books, Joel Beakey, and uh, others put this together. The Reformation Heritage KJV Study Bible um, mm. has in its footnotes, it's a great study Bible. Even if you don't use the King James necessarily you could use i use the study notes every day just in my reading with my esv so i use the study notes regardless and often i'm looking at the king james as well but they realize that in their notes they have at the end of each chapter reflections for personal and family worship so questions Mm -hmm. thoughts everything to make it very applicable how to turn to a prayer questions all that kind of stuff they realize that um it would actually serve the church a lot better if they then took those family worship, family yep. personal f- worship notes and put them into a book. So yep. it's separate from the rest of the study Bible. And so that's what this is. They have a hard they have a hardcover version that's a little bit cheaper. But go to reformationheritagebooks.com. You can also find it on Amazon, but it's Family Worship Bible Guide. Um, you see Joel Beakey's name on it and also uh, Reformation Heritage Books. You found it. This is a bonded leather version, really nice, but it, it, it's an amazing thing. We do this uh, nightly with my wife and I. Valley of Vision. Book of Puritan Prayers. So I got good. this. I got this for all my groomsmen yep. in 2013. Um, but it's, it's it's been a daily friend ever since. When did I get this? 2013 is when I got mine as well. I think you bought us all. Yeah. Yeah. Same time. Well, I, I had already bought it and read some of it. That's why I was like, oh, I need to get this for you guys. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, would carry mine around in my travel bag. Like just goes. I, yeah, it goes, I goes, still, goes with me everywhere. I still. Yeah. I, I go through seasons where I use it every morning, and basically what I do is I pray. I read the prayer, um, sometimes just as a devotion. Other times I read it and base my own prayer off it. Right. Um, so, I mean, people use it for different reasons, different ways, but it's perfect. Um, what other, do you have some book recommendations that we can maybe go back and forth? Uh, yeah, sure. So I split mine into four different categories, uh, and I tried to be uh, selective because I could recommend a lot of books that, that have really blessed me. But well, I think every Christian in in their lifetime or preferably early on uh in their faith needs to get through a systematic theology Mm. 
Um, I think that's that's fundamental, mm. especially if you were not catechized as a child. As a child, mm. if you didn't, you know, go through it. If you weren't raised in a family that did family worship and didn't um, raise you up in the scriptures, this is the 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 most urgent thing you could possibly do. Mm. I'm, I'm not even kidding. Yeah, you need to get into a systematic theology. People that 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 read systematic theologies uh, have so so much more foundation for. Mm how to read their Bible. They have so much more of a foundation on, on the doctrines that exist, the topics that exist in the Bible mm. and how to properly view the scriptures in, in light of those topics. Mm. Um, or I guess those topics in light of the scriptures. Right, right. Um, but I would say, I kind of break this into three sort of categories. If you're in the category of, of you've never really read anything theological uh, before Wayne Grudem, systematic theology. Yeah. If you're uh, a Presbyterian or Dutch Reformed, uh, Louis Burkhoff, or if mm. you're brave, Bob Inc. Um, <laughs> but Louis Burkhoff is essentially a, you know, basically it's, a, it's drinking. It's just drink. Yeah, it, it's Bob Inc. Light is what. Yeah, it's call a diet it. diet Bob Inc. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Bob Inc. hadn't been translated yet, and so and then reading Bob Inc. is like drinking from a fire hose, is what they say. <laughs> so, yeah. it, it is. Yeah. And then and then the last systematic theology that I'll recommend uh, would be if, if you're of the Reformed Baptist tradition or the Baptist tradition or non-denominational even. Um, which essentially just means mostly some form of Baptist. Right. Uh, uh, get into um, James P. Boyce abstract to systematic theology. It's it's essentially imagine like the cliff notes for a systematic theology. That's what it feels like reading. Very clear. It, it's super clear, super to the Lots point. Lots of scripture references. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like a systematic catechism. Like, well, he has a catechism in the back. Yeah, I have the cheapo one. You can literally get the the worst one for like eleven dollars, so it's actually quite a quite a uh, good buy if you um, have ten bucks. And then and I, and uh, I recommend one more systematic theology. Oh yeah, Martin Lloyd Jones sermons on systematic theology. They nice. put it. It was published originally in three volumes. Now it's in one. Crossway puts it out. It's called Great Doctrines of the Bible. Right. So the original doctrines were God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the last volume was the Church and the last things. Who would you recommend that in. systematic to? Like like what what's your audience for that one? Somebody who's already pretty familiar with uh, the faith, probably. Um, yeah. Um, or, or somebody who's like, okay, those are a little bit too daunting, the ones that you um, gave even. Those are a little bit too daunting. This is his sermons right, on systematic theology. And so they're very just practical, very conversational, easy to read, but still, right. depth, still deep. So Martin Lloyd-Jones, yeah. uh, Great Doctrines of the Bible. So the next category that I broke it down to was Christian living. Mm. Uh, and I'm not going to give you one that you can find at Barnes & Noble. Uh, the, so this one was tough for me. I, I either wanted to uh, do, well, there's three. Uh, the Christian Complete Armor uh, was, the, was, was one of the first ones I thought of, and then Mortification of Sin by John Owen, and then uh, the third one, uh, Holiness by J.C. Ryle, and I, I ended up picking Mortification of Sin by John Owen. Mm. Uh, that you, you can't not read that. that that's so... I try to read it once every year or so. I try to get, mm-hmm. if I can, or parts of it at least. In 2013 and 14, I read it five times. It's only 82 pages. So it's, it's really short because, yeah, it, yeah it's, it's really short. But, it's but in, in volume six of his writings, and you can also mm-hmm. find it, I think, in Temptation and Sin. Crossway right. published a, just one volume that was... The first time I read it, I found it for free on Kindle, I'm pretty sure. So I, I, yeah. like literally, you can get it anywhere. It's easy to get it, yeah. Get your hands on it. Uh, and it, really, when I say Christian living, I, I think that Christians need to stop reading this garbage. Uh, that's that, that, that like practical 10 steps to this. 
mm. 12 steps to that. You got to cut that out. Mm-hmm. Stop doing it. Uh, read, read works that, that tell you to push into Christ, to push into pursuing him and, and, and to be holy and righteous uh, before him. And you, you can't, you just can't take 10 steps to that. Right. You know, and, and I think the Puritans were the, the last people to really understand Christian living. I mean, yeah, they call it the golden age of Christian uh, literature. So I would say stop going to Barnes & Noble for your Christian living literature and, and just start going and reading Puritans. <laughs> right, no. And we're completely out of time. Like, way over time, even. Are we? We were going to go short, and I think we went long. We just we, um, you got talking about books, and we, yeah, we can't... No, yeah. it's, we can't do that ever again. Um, <laughs> just on that note, really quick. Uh, this is The Christian Complete Armor by War- William Gurnall, Puritan. Yeah. Um, it's... It's a hefty read. It's 1,200 pages of tiny print, double column. Well, not tiny, just small print, double column. There isn't a better book, in my opinion, and I am in the same league as... Or in the same group, not in the same league. In the same group of thinking <laughs> with um, Charles Spurgeon and John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. Did you they both said, yeah, I'm not in the same league at all. Good grief, oh. I wish. Um, and so they both said if they could do with... If they could only have one other book besides the Bible, it would be The Christian Complete Armor by William Gurnall. So um, I try to read this decent volume every couple of years, and I just got a one-year reading thing where you, it's, you read five days a week, and it give you two days to catch up. Anyway, read this amazing best book I've ever read. And then the Puritan paperback series is all about just Christian living. So the Puritan paperback series put out by Banner of Truth. Yep. This one's just John Fla- Flavel. Um, John Flavel, you can... You can um, get these they're cheap they're easy to read they're amazing charles spurgeon also banner of truth you can find pretty much anything you find by him try to make sure that it's not updated language it, he's just better in the original and he's not hard to read i don't know why they updated but he's gold um and also soli deo gloria publishers soli deo gloria publications does a bunch of puritan reprints as well all in like retypeset um yeah fixed grammar things like that just i mean this this book was only 144 pages and it's on the penitent pardon so how to be repentant and everything and and so they're just all super applicable super immediately practical yep and um really encouraging so yep and the last one quickly i will say if you don't have a study bible get the esv study bible and if you don't have a commentary get matthew henry's commentary mm. that's that's yeah. the last thing. i i think i think if you especially if you're if you're kind of new into studying the bible I need you need a good study Bible, and it, and it is the ESV study Bible. So that's the one. It's a chosen one. It's the it's the elect study Bible, <laughs> the elect study version. But I will say, I think I think it's the it's the best the best. Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially for intro into right. You don't know exactly where you stand in in terms of reform theology and stuff. That's a good right. one. So all right, well that that's been it. I know that we went a lot longer. If you're into <laughs> books, you're gonna love this episode. Uh, hopefully uh, Scott can cut this part so it's like we just have the book section too that right and so every time we go to say something whatever it just cuts to the next section <laughs> uh, the, so thank you for joining us this week on the Agris Church podcast I'm ruling and teaching elder Taylor DeSoto and I'm lead pastor Dan Johansson and we'll see you next week